Benny. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it is amazing to be here today. It's, uh, I think, in a, in a very real sense for me, coming to, to Pretoria, it's almost like coming back to my roots. There's so many precious memories here in this, this part of the world for me in terms of, of ministry, in terms of just what the Lord has done personally in my, in my own life, in the lives of my, my children and my wife as well, and so it is good to be back. I must say this, uh, this morning I left Cape Town nice and early, and it was quite, uh, quite warm back then for a, a winter's morning in, uh, in Cape Town, then arrived here in, in Johannesburg, and it was cold. And then now it's warm again, so I don't know what's going on with the weather. It's all, it's all confused. But, uh, but God is here in our, in our midst, and it's amazing to be able to just share this moment, uh, to be here physically with you guys. I wish that I could be with uh, all the other churches all at the same time as, as well. Um, but uh, we can't be at the um, different places at the same time, but Jesus can. Amen. Through His Spirit. And that's what's so amazing, to be able to be here, whether we are here or in Swakop or Burundi. The UK, wherever we are, or in, um, in Summers of the West, it's the same spirit. And, and he's been moving in our hearts, and he's been doing amazing things. And you know, at a, at a, a conference like this and, and weekends like this, um, it is true that very often uh, preachers like myself, we would prefer sometimes not to preach because the Holy Spirit is already doing so much. And these are such holy moments, and he's busy working in our hearts, and he's busy doing things. Um, with us that only He can do. Uh, because preaching can take you only up to a certain point, but unless the Holy Spirit is there, unless He has been busy working with your hearts, unless He's been busy dealing with you, then it's all pretty much just words. Um, but I sense in my heart that God has been preparing His people and that uh, as a church family even, we are ready to go where God wants us to go. And so it's such a privilege to build on the foundations that, um, that Kornay and Tom, that they've laid already, and that uh, a little bit later on, Rick will continue to just uh, share some of his thoughts with us and what the Lord has laid on his heart. But let me pray for us this afternoon as we get into the session. Father, we thank you, God, that you are good to us. We thank you, God, that you are for us, Lord, as you, as you came to reveal to us last night, even that you are with us, God, and you are for us, and Lord, that you are busy with a beautiful work. You are busy, Lord God, establishing your purposes in our midst, and you are pulling us into your story, Father, and we are thankful to be part of your story, to be part of something that has started long before any of us arrived on the scene. And so, God, we pray that today, in this moment, and right across all of our venues, God, that you would be glorified, that you would have your way, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and you would arrest our hearts, that you will come, Lord, and that you will that you will establish in us a stability and a solidity, God, in the midst of trying times and changing seasons, that we will be anchored in you, anchored in your character, anchored in your love, and anchored in your purpose for our lives. Lord, without you, I am nothing. Without your Holy Spirit speaking and moving through me today, Lord God, I am nothing. But I thank you for your word that is alive. I thank you for your spirit that is busy right now even working in us, and that you will have your way with us, God, to the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask you guys that you would go with me to, um, to Psalm 126, and I want to share a few, few thoughts with you out of this psalm, and we're going to jump a little bit between the Old and the, and the New Testament, and as we've been 
preparing for convergence, and I want to thank you for all of your prayers in all the different venues. Um, I know that this entire weekend has been saturated in prayer. I know that God has raised up in our Shofar Church family people who will one day get an incredible reward from God because you are the people shifting things and moving things around in the Spirit even before anybody gets onto the stage. You are the ones that have been holding, in a very real sense, have been holding this church family before God. You've been interceding, you've been praying, you've been weeping, you've been crying out to God, you've been standing in the gap, and maybe even you've been frustrated by some of the things that you have seen. Even as there's a frustration growing in the hearts of so many of God's people, as we look at the world and we look at the condition of the world and of our own country, we look at Scripture, we look at the promises of Scripture, we look at the life inside of Scripture, we look in the hope of Scripture, and yet we also have, to be honest, that the need of the world and what we have to offer sometimes don't come together. That, that sometimes it appears as if the need in the world and the challenges in the world far outweighs what we have to give. And I want to take us this, this afternoon on a journey of just reigniting hope in our hearts. Take us through a story in, in Psalm 126 and the introduction to that psalm in, um, in one of the translations says that it is a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. If I can just get some, get some water to help me get through the Pretoria dry air. Thanks. Thanks, Alice. As we heard sounds this, um, this afternoon coming from the stage and, and preparing and praying for, for convergence and the sound of the harvest, it was clear to me that God was beginning to speak to me about the primacy and the centrality of song, the, the importance of what we allow to come out of our mouths or what we allow to not come out of our mouths, what we prohibit or what we release. If you think back to Genesis, you will remember that God spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke the word and life came. And I believe that God is wanting to awaken our ears to the sound that he has released over the nations of the world, the sound that he has released over the nation of South Africa and wherever you might find yourself. And this psalm says that it's a song, like most of the psalms were songs that were written not so much to be, to be read or to be recited, but to be sung. The, the psalms were songs that were, that were sung to God or that were sung to an assembly. And like we had this afternoon, different sounds from different cultures just resonating about the glory and the beauty of God. And I know that in my heart that God is even wanting us to make a shift in our spirits, to understand that the songs that we have been used to, the songs that we have become familiar with, maybe some of those songs are going to change. That the sound of the harvest, the, the sound that is the sound of, of, of the lost coming to salvation, but also the sound of us rejoicing in salvation, that that sound might sound a little bit different to what we have been used to. That to the Afrikaans-speaking guy, the, the Sutu or the Kosa songs might sound a little bit foreign to the ear initially. But as you get into the spirit, you begin to understand that it is the same song. Amen. That to the Kosa, to the Zulu, to the Sutu, the Afrikaans song might sound a little bit different or foreign to the ear initially. But as you get into the spirit, you get to understand that it is the same song. 
that inside of every human being, every human being's heart, there dwells a song that is supposed to go up to the creator of the universe. And there are many false songs out there. If you look at all the popular shows of the world today, as Cornelia rightfully said last night, you can make a living out of YouTube. You can, you can make a living just out of making yourself very popular. And if you have enough people following you, then you don't really have to work that hard because there are enough clicks on your YouTube channel and then the, uh, uh, the marketing people get on board and they start funding you. And so a lot of people are singing songs and making stuff simply to fill the vacuum, simply to release things, to enrich themselves, make themselves look good. But I believe that there's a song that God is returning to the body of Christ, a song that is not about us, a song that is about God, a song that is about His splendor and His beauty and what He has done in the past and what He will do in the future. And I want to I wanna urge you that as we go through the rest of this weekend, that you will trust God to open your spiritual ears, to hear the song that He is singing over your life, to hear the song that He's singing over your community, to hear the song He's singing over your school and over your business. Because the song that you hear, I was uh, sharing with someone a little bit earlier that last week, Saturday, uh, we went to a, um, a school venue in, in Cape Town. It's a little bit outside of our town where we normally go. And uh, within that, that school, they were just singing a lot of songs that they were releasing over the, over the loudspeakers. And it's, um, it's an area in Cape Town, and so it's more Afrikaans area. And it was so amazing to be in an environment again. My kids go to English schools. So it was amazing to be in Afrikaans school again and just hear all the Afrikaans songs. And we just, that previous Sunday, they'd sung a lot of Afrikaans songs in the, in the church as well. And so we just, I just love the songs. It reminded me so much of Pretoria uh, when we were still here, just hearing all the beautiful Afrikaans songs wherever we went. And then all of a sudden, there comes this one song, and it's got something to do with agriculture, it's in Afrikaans, it's got something to do with farming, and the guy basically asked someone to show him some fruit. Any Afrikaans guys know that song? I've got to be so careful here because it's a holy environment. But it's all got to do with Vat Lemune and Lemune and all sorts of, of things, all right? And so I'm listening to this, you guys... You don't know Afrikaans, and you don't know that song, God bless you, because that song, you know, once the tune gets into your head, the crazy thing about many of those songs is, there's a tennis song as well. Anybody know the tennis? It's like a tennis crazy song out there as well. It's like the words are so off, but the tune and the thing, the beat gets into your head, and so I've got to just pray, God, sanctify my mind, get the song out of my mind. I couldn't believe I was listening to this, that the words that were sung were really sung. But the crazy thing was nobody else seemed to notice because they'd heard it so often. And it just became part of the normal, it's just what we do. We just listen to this music. And in every language you have, as I texted one of my friends and I said, you wouldn't believe what I just heard. And says, no, I'm at another Ladida English school. It's even worse, he says. See, it doesn't really matter what language it is. But there are songs that are bombarding us. There are songs that are being released over us. And unless we are careful about what we allow into our spirits, because the power of song is that it tells you a story. And, and songs create an expectation even in your heart. So many of you will remember how many songs, if you listen to that song right now, you are immediately back 15 years ago, five years ago, when you had that specific experience, a joyous experience or a sad one. And here the, 
the writers of the psalm, they come together and they speak about this song. And it's a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. And I was thinking about us coming to convergence, converging, so to speak, at a Jerusalem, at a place where we have an expectation to meet with God. And this song, it says it's a song for pilgrims, people who are on a journey. And so many of you traveled far from Poch of Sturm and all different places to, to get here and in the different venues. You traveled to get here. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my family and I, we were traveling went to Scotland and to the UK and to the, to the Netherlands. And wherever you go, you are confronted with the guys at the border posts. Um, and they want to see your passport. They, they want to see where you're from. And they want to see whether you have permission to be here. And I was thinking about that a little bit. Now, I'm a South African on my passport. But, but I realized that we're just passing through Scotland. And then we're going to England. We're passing through England. And, and then we're passing through England via the tunnel, which is crazy. You go underneath the water in this train. It takes you all the way to, to Belgium and France. And then you're into, into the Netherlands. And, and we were just passing through. But we were always coming back home to, to South Africa. I realize that I'm, I'm there and I'm, and I'm present when I'm there and I'm going to impart a blessing, but I'm, I'm coming back home again. And then so the Bible says that we as believers, we are pilgrims. And so the reality is that each one of us, more than being a South African or a Burundian or a Brit or whatever nationality you might have, that in the morning when you get up and you, you go into your, into your kitchen to start engaging with your kids, or you go to your school to engage with your teachers or your friends, or you go to your business, or you go to that NGO, that there in a very real sense would be some border patrol policeman in the spirit. And then it's important that when you start engaging with people, when you start engaging with the community, when we start engaging with the people that Tom spoke about, when we start engaging with the broken environment around us, it is important to understand, do we have permission to go there? Do we have permission to start engaging? Do you have a visa that has been approved for you to start engaging with the brokenness around you? And if you don't know that your passport has been endorsed by heaven, if you don't know that there's a stamp upon your passport that says that I am sending you as I've sent my son, so I'm sending you, then you'll always be like, do I belong or don't I belong here? You know, am I sneaking in here? Do I have permission to be here or not? And then I felt that for some of us, we need to get our heavenly passports out again. And we need to do business during this weekend with God and said, God, I want to know in my spirit that I've got the visa to go where I want to go. More correctly speaking, I've got the visa to go where you are sending me to go. I'm not just trying to get into some place illegally. I'm not trying to get into the orphan sphere illegally. I'm not trying to get into the environment where people are struggling mentally or into the business environment or into politics illegally. I'm going in there with a heavenly passport. I'm endorsed by heaven. But the problem sometimes is that we, we live as if Pretoria or Cape Town or, or, or London, whatever physical destination I'm living, we live as if that is our final destination. Or we live as if being a South African is my final destination or my final identity, and it is not. The Bible says we are simply pilgrims passing through. We are pilgrims. And then I want to speak to you a little bit about that reality for us as we're engaging with with the harvest around us, we are pilgrims. In Hebrews 11 verse 13, it speaks about the great hall of faith, the men and women of God who did incredible things within the kingdom of God. 
And it says that all of these people, Abram and, 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 and all the heroes of the faith, so many of them died still believing what God had promised them. And so they received great promises from God, but for many of them, they didn't see the fullness of their promise fulfilled. That they saw measures of the fulfillment come in their day and in their age, but many of them died still believing in the fulfillment of God's promises. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it. What are you seeing this afternoon? When you are reading the newspaper, when you are walking out of this very spirit-filled environment with such amazing music and everybody is so encouraging, what do you see when you go back into the environment where you are living from Monday till Saturday? Where are you finding yourself right now and what are you seeing? It says they saw the promises from a distance and they welcomed those promises. I'm trusting God that the Lord will stir some faith in our hearts concerning the environment in which you are living, whatever country that might be, whatever town, whatever village, whatever city that might be, that you will see what God wants you to see and not just see it, but welcome it, create space for it. They agreed that they were foreigners and that they were nomads here on the earth, that they were just, in other words, they were just passing through. All these people still Sorry, verse 14. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. And I want to I wanna encourage us that where God is heading with us as a Shofar Church family, and even with the body of Christ, that there's a time and there's a place where we look back and we are encouraged by what we see. But there's also a place where we need to break with what was and we need to embrace where we are going. And we need to say, God, we're looking forward. We're looking forward to your promises. We're looking forward to the, to the things that you have promised us that will take place in our lifetime. The things that we will see come to pass. If they had longed for the country they came from, some of you need to break with the regret and with the shame even over your own life. If only I had done this. If only I'd been more obedient there. If only I had more of this. And if only I was born in a different family. If only I was born in a different time. If only I had more money. You need to break with those things. You need to embrace what God has before you. Stop longing for the things that, that are behind you. If these believers didn't live with a focus on the future, the Bible says they could have gone back. Abram could have gone back. Each one of them would have been tempted at one stage or another to say, this faith journey isn't for me. It would have been easier just to be a normal guy that just lives a normal life and has a normal budget and normal kids and a normal job, and I would have been okay. But this faith business, the standing in faith for things, this trusting God, the stepping out on the water, and I want to encourage us, Shofar Church family, that God has called us to be pilgrims of faith. People that are always journeying, people that are always heading, people that are always breaking with whatever is wanting to hold us back and saying, God, we are standing in faith that the best is yet to come, and we are not going back. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, and that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They were looking for a better place, the Bible says, a heavenly homeland, and I want to to, to, to say to us that I believe that God is restoring even in our midst a desire for heaven, 
a desire for eternity. An understanding to know that wherever I am right now, I'm going to give my absolute everything. I'm going to go and I'm going to pour out my heart in the area where I'm ministering. I'm going to love the people around me. I'm going to live in this town as if I'm going to stay in this town for the rest of my life. But I also understand that this is not my final destination. I understand that heaven is my true home. I understand that the Father is the one that has the sole right to my life to determine where I live, how long I live there. And I don't move after a job. I don't move after a wife or a husband. I ultimately move after God's voice. And I believe that you are here and we are here because you have moved to this place to converge, not because it was somebody's good idea, but because you sense an unction in your heart that God was saying, I have a better place for you. The, as amazing as the place I've been that you have experienced, I have a better place for you. I just want to say that to you. I want to release it over you. As incredible as what it is that you have experienced already, God has a better place for you. He has something more in store for you. And when we say that immediately, some of us might think, all right, a better physical home immediately or a better job here immediately. But the ultimate that the saints have been living for, that carried them through difficult times, right throughout the centuries, has always been the knowledge that we belong to heaven. Whatever happens here on earth, whether it's great or amazing, challenging or incredibly exciting, we belong to heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And if we have that eternal perspective, if we have that eternal mindset, it enables us to engage with the present but not to be defined by the present. If we have an eternal mindset, it enables us to engage with the present, to bring heaven's will and heaven's rule into the present, but not to be defined by the present. Because so often we would base our faith for the future upon, am I really right now experiencing revival in my own life? Am I right now feeling like an overcomer? Does all of my life point to a glorious living God that is alive and that is powerful and doing impossible things? And if it doesn't, then we can be tempted to minimize our faith. We can be tempted to grow small. Because I don't have hope for the nation because I don't see change in my, own, in my own life. I want to encourage you to detach yourself from whatever physical, natural, emotional, spiritual circumstances you are finding yourself in right now and anchor yourself in heaven. Anchor yourself in heaven. This whole weekend is about us going after the lost. It's about us engaging with the lost sheep around us. And so our heart is we believe God has called us to make a difference in the here and the now. But we are not defined by the here and the now. We are heaven's citizens, and we need to live with that perspective. We are pilgrims passing through. And I will show you now why that is so important to, to remember. Jesus in John 13, verse, verse 3 to 5, we, we see this perspective and what it enabled Jesus to, to do. He says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And so here we see that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew that all authority had been given to him. And I want you to imagine a little bit within the context of your dreams, within the context of the challenges that you are being faced with right now. 
the things that you are trusting God for. And I hope that as we are sitting here and as you're listening to my voice, I hope that you have things that you are standing in faith for. I hope that there are things in your life that frustrate you, maybe even anger you a little bit, things that you look at and you say, this ought not be, this is wrong, this needs to change. And I pray to God that it changes in my lifetime and that God uses me to change this. This has to change. This has to be different and better because I've been here. I cannot stand an environment being the same, unchanged. And I've been there. It needs to change. And I hope that you've got something in your heart that's burning there, be it for education or for medicine, whatever it is, that there's something burning inside of you. And I want you to think about that thing. Maybe for some of you in this room, is you've got a burning passion for the hundreds of people committing suicide every, every month in our country. Maybe you've got a passion for, for the thousands of babies being aborted in our country every month. Maybe you've got a, a passion for, for the gangsters that are trapped in so much violence. Maybe you've got a passion for leaders who don't know that God has called them to lead with integrity. I want you to imagine that if... if if God were to give you all power in your hand right now, all power of heaven is at your disposal right now, what would you do with that power? What would you do with that power? Gunei spoke to us last night about how often within Christian, Christian circles, that power and that authority is used to build our own kingdoms. God is going to release dreams over us. But I want to set the, the stage a little bit for us to have us rooted and grounded in this, that the power and the authority that God gives us is given to us to serve. It's given to us to serve. And so Jesus, knowing that he had all the power and all the authority in his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So something amazing happens here. Jesus understands all authorities in his hands. He understands that he has all power at his disposal. But he understood also with that authority that he didn't have to prove himself to anyone. The world is filled with so many insecure people. I have this conversation with my, with my son around soccer players all the time. And people who appear to, nothing wrong with soccer players, please, if you're a soccer player, God bless you. Right, play soccer to the best of your ability. Spread the gospel through playing your soccer. Make tons of money. Pour it out into the kingdom. Amen. Be the best soccer player that you can be for Jesus. But whether it's a soccer player or a pop star or a movie star or whatever, the world still tells us that this is what you need to strive for. And if you have this, you'll be happy. I mean, just get the next phone until the next better phone comes out six months later. And you need to get that as well. You need to get the next thing and the next thing so that you can feel better about yourself. And if, and if we are trapped within an environment where we are not rooted in the love of Christ, then even the spiritual authority that God wants to give us can become self-destructive. And even more so can be destructive towards the people around us. You just have to look at church history and have to look at how many churches started off in the spirit and eventually became all about an individual. How many NGOs started off with the best intentions and eventually all became about that vision, that dream, that goal, and became self-serving. 
And if we think that we are going to be different than anybody else, it's not going to happen to us, not to my dream, not to my NGO, not to my church, not to my ministry, then we are deluding ourselves. It's like I always say in marriage prep, you know, the, the, the people that, that come and listen the most to any marriage class are those people who have been married for a while. Those that are engaged, you know, they sit in the session on, on conflict resolution, like conflict. You know, what, 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 what conflict? I mean, our, our, our relationship, it's just, it's just so special. You know, it's, it's so unique. And, and you see the look in their eyes. And I, I share, you know, about Nikki and my, our struggles and things we had to work through. And it's almost like a condescending look. You know, like it's like, we, we feel sorry for you, you know, that you have to go through that. But uh, our love, ah, oh, babes, I mean, she knows you know, I don't even have to say a word and she knows, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple of months later into the marriage and then they're there taking notes and it's just, and it's just amazing. Why? Because you've been humbled. You've been humbled by this dream that you had. You've been humbled by this amazing blessing. And saints of God, I believe that in order for us to steward and to manage the dreams and the purposes God gives us, we need to be humbled by the magnitude thereof. We need to be humbled by the immensity of what God has called us to. If we still think that we can do it, if we still think that my connections at res or my fantastic financial acumen or that I'm a hard worker or I'm a charismatic speaker or gifted in to flow in the spirit, if I think that will do it, I'm setting myself up for destruction because the devil will start playing games with me and will get me to start comparing myself to others. There's always somebody out there with a better this and a faster that, and a more charismatic or more powerful ministry. But Jesus was rooted in the knowledge that he came from the Father and he was going back to God. I thank God a, a while ago, I, I went through a, I can only describe it as a deliverance process where I had to, to wrestle with God about this because there were some things in our movement, in our, in our church family, that I couldn't control. It was literally beyond my control. I couldn't get anybody to do, I couldn't force them. I couldn't put a noose around their neck and say, like, even like with convergence, there's no way we can say, you will be there in Jesus' name, and if you're not, then, oh. You know, each one, <laughs> did somebody, one of your pastors say that to you maybe? I hope not, all right, so. <laughs> Name an angel of prayer to you. But each one of us has to follow Jesus willingly from our hearts. But I had to make a peace with this fettered God, and, and the Lord came to me and challenged me on this. He said, Heinrich, are you willing to let go of control even more? Are you willing to surrender the last vestiges of control even more? Are you willing to allow me to lead this family? Are you still trying to? To, to get in there and keep things together. And the Lord literally had to deliver me from a fear of, oh my goodness. And the Lord asked me, are you prepared for me to come and be king of this church? Are you prepared to allow me to move with the people? Are you going to get out of the way? So Jesus, I don't even know what that looks like. Sounds scary. What if it doesn't work? What if I make a fool of myself? Are you prepared? 
Because what matters, the way that you look, the way that the numbers look, or does it matter to you that you know that the Father has given all things into your hands? You don't have to prove anything. You came from the Father, you're going back to the Father. So I don't really care too much about what people are saying anymore. The Father's voice is what defines me. The Father's voice is what I live for. I live for an audience of one. And I want to say to us that those of you guys are going to run with the dreams that God is giving you. Some of you are going to dust old dreams off. You've got to come back to the place where it's, Lord, it's about you and it's your honor and it's about your voice and your voice alone. I'm going to break with the voices that are coming against me. Because Jesus laid aside his outer garments and took a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. It was wrapped around him. Because Jesus knew the authority given to him and didn't have to prove himself, I'm, I'm concerned for some movements, some, some, some tendencies that are creeping even into our midst and where, where doing the miraculous even becomes a competition. Let me put on Facebook how many miracles I've done and we never say it like that, but subconsciously, it becomes this competition. And even when we move, let's leave the miraculous alone because it can very easily get into an NGO environment as well. Whatever dream it is, if the dream is still to make me feel better or make me feel more loved, and I want to urge us to do business with God today. Have your heart circumcised. God, whether my dream flies, whether my dream crashes, I know that I belong to you. You define me. I'm not defined by the size of the ministry. We are not defined by the size of the attendance of convergence. We're not defined by how many people are streaming in. We are not defined by how many churches that we plant. We're not defined by how many NGOs we have. We are defined by our obedience to God. He loves us. And out of that place of being loved by Him, we obey Him. We don't have to prove ourselves. So saints, even as we start engaging with this broken world around us, don't start engaging because you're wanting to prove that God is still on the throne. Because you want to prove that, that God is working through you. It's so subtle. We want to stand up for the name of Jesus. The first thing we need to do, how do we prove to the world outside, is by having our own hearts submitted to God. Let's look after our own holiness. Let's look after our own hearts. And out of that place, God will do the rest. But let's not try and build the kingdom even and use God's name and say, we are building this kingdom so that God can look good. God doesn't need us to make him look good. Amen? He doesn't need us to make him look good. He just needs us to be obedient to him. And out of that, everything else flows. And if we're in that place, we can continue to serve one another. So Jesus has a few hours left with his friends. He's about to, to die the next day. And he has this one moment with them to prove to them that he's God. He's got this one moment with them to anchor them through the difficult times that they're going to go into. And he chooses with all of this authority. Remember Jesus' mission. He's, he's coming to reconcile the earth back to the Father. He's coming to die for the sins of the world. He's, he's coming to establish his kingdom and he has all power to do that. And he chooses not to write his name on the mountain there outside Jerusalem. You know, just like, wouldn't it have been easy if today, next year, when we go to the Empower 21 conference in, in Jerusalem, I hope some of you guys can go with us. 
celebrate Pentecost there. Wouldn't it have been easy if we could go there next year and we can take a couple of guys with us, a lot of unbelieving friends, and we can say, look there, Jesus' own hand wrote it like big letters across the mountain. I am the Son of God. And everybody saw it. Lightning came like force, thunder, you know, just came like, I am the Son of God. Everybody was looking for a sign. Jesus was looking for obedience. Saints, the world is desperate for a sign. The world is desperate for the miraculous. The world is desperate. Let's not give them signs. Let's give them obedience. If we give them obedience, the signs will follow. Amen? We're a people that follow God in obedience. We're not a people that follow signs. If we're obedient to God, then the signs will follow. I was reminded of um, just driving through Scotland, went past Stirling, and I was reminded of Macbeth. Some of you guys might have done Macbeth. And there are these words that Macbeth utters sort of towards the end of his life. And you'll remember that he, he wanted to be king with everything inside of him. He wanted to be king of the castle, literally. He wanted to be king of Scotland, and he schemed and connived his way into the kingship, and, and, and his wife schemed and connived her way with him and killed people on his behalf. He betrayed his best friend. And towards the end of his life, after he had achieved everything that was humanly possible for him, he utters these words, out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is hurt no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. He had accomplished everything. He was at the pinnacle of what he could humanly achieve, and it left him empty. And it says, life is but a walking shadow. So many people come to the end of their lives, and they discover, and it's true whether you're in ministry, whether you're in commerce, whether you're in education, it doesn't matter which industry you are in. Let's not think that, just because we're in church, it doesn't happen. And they realize, I've been building the wrong thing, the wrong motive, all availing to nothing. But God doesn't want us to live this way. He doesn't want our lives to be empty shadows. He wants our lives to be filled with substance, amen? Filled with substance that will change the world around us. And we come to a place where the harvest is crying out. And I've got an expectation and excitement in my heart that because God has come to, to speak to our hearts and we've been responding, and God has been cleansing our hearts and we've been repenting, we've been bringing our hearts before God, we are going to see great things coming. But it's not going to be for the faint-hearted. And we know that. We know things are intensifying. These words from Theodore Roosevelt have, have come to my mind. He says, it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, I want to say, to the man who is in the harvest field, whose face is marred in dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. Some of you are afraid to step out there and start engaging with people because you are afraid of failure. Just get out there. There's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best 
knows in the end the triumph of high achievement who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We have come to a critical time in our nation's history, the nations of the world, and I believe that God calls us to dream great things, to go out there and to go out in faith, to go out there and say, God, we trust you that the scourge will stop, that the femicide will stop, that the infanticide will stop, that the corruption will stop. We are trusting you, God, that our nation will churn out world leaders, men and women who will make a difference in this continent and in the world. And we are trusting you that you will work through us. We will not be the complacent. We will not be those few timid souls that just criticize those who are stepping out in faith. We will get our hands and our faces dirty. We will step out into the harvest field. And I know I'm speaking to an audience like that. I know that in your heart, love, live courage. Courage. It's inside of you the devil is trying to squash through the newspapers and through all the things happening around us. But God is going to breathe life upon your courage today. I believe that with all my heart. And I want to, I want to encourage you with some stories from history. Psalm 126 verse, verse 1. That was just the introduction. I've got to finish. <laughs> we are pilgrims. And, and, and being pilgrims is not so much to do with where I live physically. It's where I live spiritually. It's not so much to do with where I live physically. It's where I live spiritually. I can live in the same place my entire life and still be a pilgrim. My pilgrimage is this. I come from God and I'm going back to God. That's my pilgrimage. I'm a citizen from heaven, and therefore I'm not defined by the things around me. I'm not defined by my failures. And I felt in my spirit that some of us are afraid to step out because we come from a lineage of failure where people have tried things and it's failed and where this word spoken over us, or we're afraid what will happen if my faith doesn't come through for me? What will happen if I make a fool of myself? And God is saying, just step out. I've got you. I've got you in the palms of my hands. And God, uh, the psalmist says, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. The people of Israel were led captive by the Babylonians and, and they came back a few times to raid Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, burned the temple to the ground, took the best men and the best women first, Daniel with his friends amongst others, came back a little bit later and took whoever was able-bodied and looked good in any way, any physical strength left, took them as well. So it was only the poorest of the poor left in Jerusalem. And about 70 years later, the decree comes from Cyrus and he releases supernaturally in the blink of an eye, God's timing arrives. In the blink of an eye, the timing arrives. And God says, let my people go through Cyrus like he did to, to Pharaoh. Saints, if we would continue just to be faithful to what God has called us to do, there's coming a time when in the blinking of an eye, God is going to change the fortunes and the destiny of our nation. If we as the people of God would just remain faithful, we can be there when God does it. But if our spirits have wandered, if we have allowed cynicism and if we have allowed bitterness and if we have allowed envy to take control of our spirits, then we can miss that moment when the exiles come back. We can miss the moment when God's hand moves upon Cyrus and he takes a pagan king and he makes that king do his will. We can miss that moment. I want to be where these 
inhabitants of Jerusalem words. They say that when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. He says, this was too good to be true. This was like a dream, the exiles returning, men and women coming back to rebuild Jerusalem, coming back to rebuild the temple. It was too good to be true. God is wanting to stir our hearts to dream again. Imagine your dream coming true in the environment where you are so challenged right now. What will it look like for your family if the dream that God has placed in your heart for your family comes true? What will it look like in your community if the dream comes true? Somewhere, there were still some people dreaming. God, we just see ruins. We just see burned down walls. We just see destruction. We just see poverty. But God, there's a dream inside of us that one day, one day, one day the exiles will return. One day the exiles will return. And then one day the exiles came back. And I want to say to you that the exiles around us are coming back. That God is pre preparing us as his people to receive them when they come and also by his spirit to go and get them. To receive them and to get them. In, the, in these last days, in Acts 2 verse 17, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I believe that God puts us together as a church family so we can encourage each other to dream about a future. And so I want to I say to us that what we need to steward together is our faith. We need to steward our faith, saints. Because there's a war out for our faith. The devil would want nothing more for us just to be normal people that are trying our utmost to do good things. He hasn't called us to do good things. He's called us to do God things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we as a people need collectively, we need to come together. And we need to prophesy and we need to see our visions and we need to dream our dreams. And I, and I don't believe that it's only the young men that have the visions and the old men that dream the dreams. I don't believe that verse should be interpreted that literally. I could be wrong, but I believe what God is saying is that when the people of God are together, you will have prophecy and you will have vision and you will have dream. When all the generations are together, you will have that in your midst. And some of you need to say to God, God, pour out your spirit upon me again because I need to see some things in the, in the spirit. I'm not seeing in the spirit. God, I'm not seeing what you're doing in my family. I'm not seeing what you're doing in my school. All I'm seeing is the bad news and it is intimidating me and it's squashing my faith. God, open my eyes, open my ears to hear the song of the returning exiles. The sound of the harvest is the song of the exiles coming back. God has always been into fulfilling dreams. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, that He has come to set the captives free. Some of you are going to go out and you're going to experience how through your life, God sets individual captives free. Prostitutes, homeless people, businessmen trapped in gambling, all sorts of walks of life. God is going to use you to set individual captives free. His spirit is upon you. He has anointed us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to go and look for that one sheep that got lost. He's setting captives free. How many people in this room has been a captive and you've been set free by God? So many of us, we've been captives and we know I was a slave to a spirit of poverty. Low self-esteem and God came to set me free. Now, instead of living for the approval of people, I live for the approval of God. He set me free from that bondage. 
So I don't have to do things to win people's approval. He set me free. And so many of you can testify to that. But I want to say to you that I believe also that God is wanting to stir our faith, not just to trust him for individual captives, but for whole groups of captives to be set free. Exodus 3 verse 9, it says that God hears the cry of his captive people. When Israel cried out to God, God sent Moses and he delivered his people. He delivers individuals and he delivers nations. Dream about the individuals in your life. Dream with God about their freedom. Strategize with God. What can you do? How can you walk in that, in that rhythm of grace, the unforced rhythm of grace with Him? How can you walk with Him? How can you come alongside them? But dream with God about it, saints. Dream about it. Trust God. Give you a dream for your family. Give you a dream for your environment where you are. But I also believe that God is wanting to give us dreams about corporate returning. And so I'm going to share with you very quickly just a few snapshots of where this happened. Right throughout the, the centuries, there have been revivals. And Kunei spoke about it last night, and I believe it was so of the Spirit. I believe that God is positioning us as a people to experience a reviving of our hearts, individually and corporately as well. And one of the greatest revivals happened. It's, it's known as the first great awakening. There have been many revivals right throughout the centuries, but this was one of them. 1727, in a small town called Herrenhut, the Lord's house in, in Germany. It started off with, with prayer by a small group of people that grew and grew and grew into a 24-7 prayer movement that lasted for 100 years. For 100 years, that group and the community that they formed prayed uninterrupted every hour of every day of every week of every year for 100 years. And out of that revival, that prayer movement, a great revival started. The Moravian Mission Church was started from this, and they sent 300 radical missionaries all across the globe. Impacted America and England, impacted South Africa. My grandmother was a woman of prayer, and she grew up in a Moravian mission station. And so these people impacted not just their own community, but the communities of the world. In 1740 to 1742, 30,000 new members were added to the church. Two years' time, 30,000 new members came to salvation. Nine universities established, all growing out, growing out of this prayer movement. It was during this time that missionaries started going, even as, 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 as large portions of America was being colonized and Native Americans were being reached, missionaries put their lives at risk. Why? Because they were fueled with a passion for the lost that started during this prayer movement. This was the time of Edwards and Wesley and Whitefield. Guys, you please go and read up on them. It would stir your heart. Men who, who laid the foundation for future revivals that would come. Whitefield in, in, the, um, in the UK, he would preach to crowds of 20,000, 30,000 people. People would come to repentance. There would be convulsions and, and people crying out. And it would just be crazy. It would be chaos. He would preach a sermon and then for an hour and a half later, people would be slain in the spirit still. The fire and the power of God that came upon people. 1791, there was another great awakening. It also started as a prayer movement. From 1784 to 1791, a small group of people got together. And every Monday night, they just started praying for revival. Just prayed for revival. Just prayed for revival. The context was, it was chaos in the world. It was the American War of Independence, thousands, 
Tens of thousands of young men lost their lives. The French Revolution, chaos, sexual immorality, declining church attendance, the rise of rationalism, industrialization. It was chaos in the world. And then in the midst of that chaos, revival came. We tend to think it's so chaotic, it's so terrible, it's so bad. God is always poised in the darkest of moments to cause revival to come. Things are pretty dark right now where we are living. And I have an expectation that if there are people that are positioned in the spirit who will lay hold of God and say, God, we want to be a people of faith. We want to see you move, not our plans, but your plans be established that God will do for us what he did for these awakenings. So there was an explosion of world missionary organizations. It was during this time that slave trade was abolished. The prisons were reformed. Schools and orphanages started spread to Scandinavia, Germany, Switzerland, Ireland, all across the globe. 1830, there was another great explosion. Charles Finney, many of you guys might know him, in one year led 100,000 souls to the Lord. George Muller, a, a Prussian um, young man, came to salvation, and he started a massive orphanage work in in Britain. And I want to just tell you a little bit more about, about him. In his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. The first 30 of those orphans, he, 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 he housed in his own home together with his wife. Right? And I want you to see the, the, the context and the connection here. Because we tend to think that we, we either have revival on the one hand, and it's spiritual, and people are coming to salvation, and there are those that are passionate about prayer and passionate about revival. And then we have the practical people over on this side. And sometimes you have these two groups like, you too spiritual. And like, oh, you too practical. You should pray more. You should pray less. You should do more. And got these two loggerheads with one another. God has always chosen to use the two together. In the moment of these great revivals, he raised up people who were passionate about the community. One such man, George Muller. He provided excellent education to the orphans and to the poor. In fact, some people around him accused him of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. So what happened? The revival impacted this man so much that he upset the social status of the country in which he lived. He, he impacted the poor so much that they started dreaming, that they started getting education, that they had hope inside of them, and they started doing things that upset the status quo. When revival comes and the people of God are positioned, we don't have to be conformed to what happens in society. We don't just have to follow the conversations on Facebook and Instagram and just be carried along. We can shift things around in the spirit. The nearby factories and the mines, they lost their access to cheap labor. Today, right throughout the world, we've got the largest percentage of child slave labor taking place in the world today. We need the people of God to change that, turn that around. This man of God, through the power of God inside of him, prayer of faithful friends. He almost closed down factories because they couldn't find children to do their work for them anymore because these children were educated. He took them in. He gave them a hope. He gave them a future. He established 117 schools for more than 120,000 children. 117 schools in his lifetime. And he never asked for money once from one person. Not once. And he never went into debt. This came out of this time of revival where God began to, to speak to him. In his lifetime, he received 1,381,171 pounds. That's about 113 million pounds in today's terms that people gave to him without him asking for one cent. That's a lot of money. I don't know how many of you guys have dreams 
that uh, are bigger than that. That's a lot of money. But you know what? He, he, he lived by faith, but he also had the practical things in place. They say that every cent, every spoon given, a receipt was written out for that and given to the person that donated the money. So he was a man full of the Spirit, full of the fire of God, but he had practical things in place as well. He handed out 285,000 Bibles, 1.4 million New Testaments in his lifetime. Now I want to share with you a little bit about his inner journey. He says this in one of his autobiographies or in his autobiography. A brother in the Lord came to me this morning and after a few minutes of conversation gave me 2,000 pounds for furnishing the new orphan house. The Lord not only gives as much as is absolutely necessary for his work, but he gives abundantly. This blessing fills me with inexplicable delight. He had given me the full answer to my thousands of prayers during the past 1,195 days. We look at that amount of money given to him. We look to the, 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 the four or the five orphans, uh, orphan houses that he raised up. But he was in prayer for more than three years for a breakthrough, trusting God that the Lord provide the money for him to start that next house. We look at, this, we look at what gets, gets published. Now, oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. I want the kind of faith. Saints, there is a price to pay if we are going to see revival in every sphere of our society. There is a price to pay. We're in this quick fix mentality and everything must fall out of the sky in the presence of God. It must just come. It must just come. Yes, God touches us, but he wants to give us courage and endurance to lay hold of his promises. One stage as he was praying about starting a new home, he says this, in connection with this, I would mention that the Lord very graciously gave me a measure of simplicity and of childlike disposition in spiritual things. So that whilst I was exceedingly ignorant of the scriptures and was still from time to time overcome, even by outward sins, and he speaks about the first few years of his life when he came to salvation, yet I was enabled to carry most minute matters to the Lord in prayer. I believe that God is wanting to just rid us of a foul, nasty spirit of independence from God. We're too independent. We've lost that hunger to take the smallest details of our lives to God and to talk to Him about it. And so all we get is human results. It's human results that's all that we're getting. If we're not going to plug into, into heaven and we're not going to plug into that lifeline, all that we are going to continue to get are human results, and human results will not be enough for the harvest. He says, I found godliness profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. He freaked out the people around him because he took Jesus literally upon his word. He says, you forgive when somebody slaps you in the face. When somebody asks you for something, you give it to them. You owe nobody nothing except love. And he says, I know it's crazy, he says, but those who do so take them, in other words, who do take Jesus' words literally, will doubtless often be brought into difficulties. Hard to the flesh to bear. But these will have a tendency, these difficulties will have a tendency to make them constantly feel that they are strangers and pilgrims here, that this world is not their home. We are shying away from difficulties. We want to make our lives so comfortable that we don't feel like strangers in this world anymore. We don't feel like pilgrims in this world anymore because we're just the same as the world. We have the same results. And I believe that God is asking us to come back 
to our lifeline. Come back to our lifeline. Come back to our lifeline. Let's live, let's pray as if our very lives depend upon it. The problem with a small dream is you still think you can do this, and so you don't pray as if your life depends upon it. But if it does, it changes everything. Thus, to throw them more upon God who will assuredly help us through any difficulty into which we may be brought by seeking to act in obedience to His Word. I just want to read this a little bit more and just stir some faith in your heart. He says, As this, however, is one of the most momentous steps that I have ever taken, I judge that I cannot go about this matter without or with too much caution. Right? He's thinking about starting a new home. The context was at this stage, he was giving out four times more than what he was getting in. So he's not wanting to start a new home because the budget is, is perfect and it all makes sense. Please have those things in place. But let those things not be the determining factor that determines whether we are obedient to God or not. It's not making sense to him in the natural to start the, the next house. He says, I judge that I cannot go about this matter with too much caution, prayerfulness, and deliberation. You know, as a people of God, sometimes we come to a weekend like this, we hear amazing words, and then we just rush off. Saints, I urge you that you would go into a time of deep, 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 deep consecration with God. That you will wrestle with God. That you will find out from God, God, is there a price to pay for this to come to fulfillment? Is there a price to pay? What is the cross that I need to bear? Because we even make God's dreams cheap. And everywhere, right throughout the centuries where God has used His people, it has always come at a price. And the price is our own comfort, and the price is our own way. Jesus has paid the price for us to be reconciled to God, but our comfort has to die. He says, I am in no hurry about it. I could wait for years by God's grace where this is will, before even taking one single step towards this thing or even speaking to anyone about it. And on the other hand, I would set to work tomorrow were the Lord to bid me do so. It's amazing. He says, if God were to tell me to wait five years, 10 years, 15 years, I would wait. But if he would say to me, do this, I would start tomorrow. The key is the obedience to God. The obedience to God's voice. To be able to understand that where I go and when I go and how I go, I need God to speak to me. He says, this calmness of mind, this having no will of my own in the matter, this only wishing to please my heavenly Father in it, this only seeking His and not my honor, this state of heart, I say, is the fullest assurance to me that my heart is not under a fleshly excitement and that if I am helped Thus to go on, I shall know the will of God to be full. But while I write this, I cannot but add at the same time that I do crave the honor and the glorious privilege to be more and more used by the Lord. I desire to expound the Holy Scriptures regularly to a thousand orphans instead of doing so to 300. I desire that it may be yet more abundantly manifest that God is still the hearer and answerer of prayer. And that he is the living God now as he ever was and ever will be. When he shall simply, in answer to prayer, have condescended to provide me with a house for 700 orphans and with means to support them, this last consideration is the most important point in my mind. If he would be more glorified 
by not going forward in this business. I should, by His grace, be perfectly content to give up all thoughts about another orphan house. The Lord's honor is the principal point with me in this whole matter. And just because this is the case, if He would be more glorified by not going forward in this business, I should, by His grace, be perfectly content to give it all up. By the help of God, I shall continue further day by day to wait upon Him in prayer concerning this thing till He bid me act. Can we stand? I want to pray for us. Till He bid me act. In this room, there are dreams, purposes, and plans that God is stirring in hearts. All in a Shofar Church family, I know there are people that are longing for God to use them mightily. Psalm 126 verse 2 says, We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. I believe that God would want to see a harvest of dreams come forth. There are dreamers in this house people that are worshiping God and praising God, you have not given up. And it is miraculous. In my travels to Europe, I, I come across so many dreamless people. Dreamless. They've got everything, they're complacent, they're comfortable. There's nothing inside of them is dreaming anymore. And so one of the highest rates of depression and suicide are in your first world countries. There's nothing to dream about anymore. Nothing to change, nothing to transform. God places us in environments where we have the opportunity and the privilege to dream with Him. Is there where you stand? Do you want to close your eyes? Don't you want to bring before you your capacity to dream before God? The psalmist said that when he brought back the captives of Israel, we were like those who dreamt. Can you one day, five years from now or ten years from now, can you see yourself standing in a place and you see dreams come to pass? Or have you lost the ability to dream and you're just surviving? And I want to pray that God would stir your spirit to dream. Father, I pray, God, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, for the womb of our church family, God, our capacity, Lord, to, to dream great and amazing dreams with you. We know, Lord, that as the darkness is great around us, as the pressure mounts and things are becoming more and more unstable and uncertain, that it is even more important than ever before to have a people who have the ability to look at things differently, 
to look at things through the eyes of faith. And we come before you, God, this afternoon, and we petition you, Lord, that you would stir in us the ability to dream, the ability, God, to see through the eyes of the Spirit what might be, not just what might be, but what you have declared to be. God, I pray even in, in this moment right now, Lord, that you would deliver us, Lord, from human dreams, God, dreams that are simply just birth, Lord God, out of emotion and out of a good sermon and out of a, and out of a desperate need. But Father, I pray for a translation, God, into God-given dreams. God, I pray for wombs here in the name of Jesus that, that have been part of abortions, Lord, where dreams have been aborted because of fear and because of pressure, where dreams have been aborted, God, even because of just succumbing to the ways of this world and the distractions of this world. Father, bring wombs before you that have had miscarriages because the dreams have, have been pushed out too soon. And I pray that you'd restore in us, Lord, both an urgency to be obedient to your voice and at the same time a spirit of self-control, Lord, to allow your Holy Spirit to grow the dreams inside of us, to pray them through, Lord. I pray, God, now for midwifing, anointing God, Lord, an ability to pray the dreams, Lord, to pray the dreams, to wrestle with you, Lord, and not to move until you give the word, not to just share the dreams with those around us, not to just speak glibly, Lord, but to wrestle with you, to pray and to pray and to pray and to pray as if you truly answer prayer, as if you truly direct, as if you truly provide. All across our venues as we are listening, I want you to respond and I want you to bring your, your capacity to carry the dreams of God before God today. And I want you to respond and just come to the front. If you can relate to this, it's not going to be all of us, but if you can relate to this and you know that you need to bring your ability to wrestle with God and wrestle with a dream, to, to, to not get up from your prayer closet until you've heard from God, to be able to get to the place in the spirit where you count the cost, what it will mean for God to fulfill the dream through you. There's some of us in this room and even those of you listening to the sound of my voice and, and you are dreaming with God and you base your confidence on those dreams because of the things that you have, the sums that you have made, the sums that you have made in your own strength, they're good sums, they're beautiful sums. But I believe God is wanting to transition you, to transition you into a place where you will get the download from Him, where He will speak to you, and you will find Him in the wrestle. You will find Him in the wrestle. There are also people you need to just come And you need to deal with your need for people to know that you are anointed. You need to come. Just the, just the need for acknowledgement that people will know that you hear God's voice, that people will know that you are anointed by God. Just bring that to God. Say, God, I want all striving out of my life 
Guys, you've got no idea what God is going to do through your life. You've got no idea how He's going to change and shape environments through you. All He's wanting to do in this moment is just to cleanse our wounds. So there's no pollution. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. for the amazing, beautiful people of God. I thank you for how you've chosen to work, God, right throughout the ages with people who are simply surrendered to you. People, God, who are simply yielded to your voice. I thank you for the engineers. I thank you, Lord, for the social workers. I thank you, God, for the teachers. I thank you for the journalists. Thank you for the moms and for the dads. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for the cashiers. I thank you, Lord, for the domestic workers, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for, for people of God who will tap into heaven. will tap into heaven's blueprint and heaven's dream. And who will allow you to have your way with their lives. There's some of us, and I believe that God wants to say to us that He's so proud of us, so proud of you, and He wants you to know that you could have given up. You haven't. You're still believing God. You're still trusting. And He's proud of you. You carry so much of what is good and beautiful in your heart. But you've allowed your heart to grow hard because it's not easy to dream. It's not easy to be someone that sees possibilities. It's not easy to swim upstream. It's not easy to be hopeful when you're surrounded by negativity. And so you've lost your ability to have your heart broken by the brokenness of the world around you. And God wants to touch your heart. And even in your tears, your tears are going to be the seed for the harvest that's going to come. Father, pray you would soften hearts. Mm. And Father, I pray this afternoon that you will forgive us as church leaders, God, for where we have abused dreams, where we have abused, Lord, your people's desire to be used by you. And we have co-opted people into following our dreams, building our visions. And we have cut them off, Lord, from you. Forgive us for where we have given answers and we have given our interpretations and we have kept your people from wrestling with you.
so few of your people know how to wrestle with you because we as your leaders have tried to be you. Have tried to give answers and directions, Lord, where we should have pointed them back to you. Forgive us, God, our need to be you. Shofar, I want to ask that you will forgive us as your leaders, church in general, for where, where we have spoiled you at times and not pointed you back to God to go and wrestle with Him. I've got a weird request in my heart that I sense the Holy Spirit is wanting to ask us. It's wanting to ask us, would we be willing to wrestle with Him again? Would we be willing to wrestle with Him around His purposes? His purpose. Not your teacher, not your pastor's purpose, not your dad's purpose. His purpose. And I wish I could give you that purpose just like this. Would you be willing to say to God, God, however long it takes, I'm going to wrestle with you until you release me, until you empower me, until you fill me with your spirit. For some of you, it will happen like this. For some of you, five weeks, five months, who knows how long? I don't know. God, I thank you for cleansing us, God, in our church family of human beings that step into the place of being the high priest. There's only one high priest and his name is Jesus. Only one mediator between God and man. And that is not us. We surrender to the wrestle. Come and wrestle us, Lord, and win. Come and wrestle our hearts. We are yours to command, O oh God. Yours to direct. Would you just do business with God where you are? It's just such a holy moment. It's just, I don't want to get close to that moment where you are with God now. You speak to Him. You allow Him to speak to you. You forgive who you need to forgive. Some of you, you need to forgive yourself. Some of you wanted to be so much further in your life. There are people more advanced in years, a little bit older than most of the people in this room or even our audiences. God is saying He's not finished with you. We need you to keep on believing with us. We need your tenacity. We need your endurance. We need you. Just through your life to be an encouragement to the younger generation. That you can serve God all the way, through the highs and through the lows. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, God. Can we sing a song of surrender just to the God, to the Lord and worship Him? As we finish this session, continue to do your business with God. We're going to commit our, our lives to God. Some of you need to ask God, even Lord, I bring my dream to you. And if this is not from you, God, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. Some of us as parents need to bring our dreams for our children before God. Some of us also, you feel disqualified because of a failure in your life. Bring it to the blood of Jesus. Bring it to the blood of Jesus. come to you, God. So make us holy as we come render to you as we are holy so make us holy as we come, as you are holy, so make us holy, as we come, surrender to you, as you are holy, so make us holy. As we come, surrender to you, and as you are holy, so make us holy. As we come, surrender to you, and as you are holy. So make us holy as we come, surrender to you. Have your way, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have your way with us, Jesus. Have your way. Have your way with us, God. Have your way with us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We come before you, Lord, and I want to just release your people into your hands, God. I want to release each person, Lord, into your hands. Lord, to freely follow and freely obey you. Lord, to hear from you and to obey your voice without the yoke of slavery, of pleasing man, pleasing a pastor conforming to some image in the name of Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you will rid our church family from human idolatry. We look to you, Jesus, and we enthrone you, and we thank you that you take your rightful place in our lives. We thank you that you yourself fill your people with your spirit. The way you have uniquely gifted them to give expression, Lord, to your spirit, the way that you have wired them. Thank you for the different sounds that will be sung and will be released, Lord through the diversity of your body, the diversity of the gifts. Father, thank you that you will continue to shepherd your people, continue to guide your people, continue to perfect your bride. Lord, and as Symbolically, Lord, today, I just want to take off this jacket, God, and thank you that we can come, Lord, as your leaders and declare, Lord, that it is our honor to serve you and to serve your people. We take off, Lord, any robe, even, God, any form of identification that we have made with the ministries that you have given us. We take that off, Lord. And we come before you and your people as servants. And I pray for the grace for all of us, Lord, who serve your people well. I pray for the grace, Lord, for us as your people to serve our nations well to serve your purposes in our nations, in our communities, in our families, in our congregations. As pilgrims, Lord, we submit to you. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name.